The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo, provide a phenomenal customer experience, and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. I know you hear me say that five times a week, and I still mean it. So let's talk about it. The buzz today is their way. What is she talking about? Let me get started. CEOs around the world have identified customer transformation among their top three initiatives, and I would guess that's what's keeping them awake at night. If we went back and pulled them, I bet that's what they would say. Why is this such a big deal? Because they find the customer experience is suffering. Bear with me here. Mobile and e-commerce have changed the face of customer engagement. We're all customers. We're all consumers. Well, guess what? We expect to be able to buy our products and our services as easily brick and mortar, online, on a mobile device, over the phone, wherever we choose to engage, whatever channel. We want it easy. We want it clean. We want it to happen. We want it efficient. We don't want anybody to waste our time. We want to get the job done. So talking to companies that are selling, how can your company solve these fundamental business challenges in our increasingly omni-channel world? If you don't know that word, you better get used to it because that's part of your business landscape. Well, we think the answer is omni-channel commerce. Ooh, we have a panel of experts who are going to explain and help us all figure it out. So I'd like to welcome my first guest today. He's Randy. Andy Cole, if you're wondering, it's K-O-H-L. He's a senior content strategist at the Gorilla Group, and later in the show, he'll tell us what they do. And Randy sent me a great quote from Sir Arthur Charles Clark. Anybody thinks the name sounds familiar? Well, it is. He's most famous as the co-writer of the screenplay for the movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey. He's a science writer, futurist, and inventor and undersea explorer. I wonder if he knew Jacques Cousteau. And here's the quote. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I love that quote. Randy Cole, how are you today? I'm well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. Tell me about the quote. Why did you pick a quote from Sir Arthur Charles Clark or Arthur C. Clark? And how does it relate to our topic of omnichannel commerce? Well, I just thought it was, you know, the quote itself was very apropos to both the topic and the times we live in. Um, you know, because really isn't, the goal today for today's retailers is to create magical experiences for their customers, and I think they have the technology at hand to kind of pull it off. It's just a matter of, you know, implementing that. Um, you know, I think at some level, whether they're doing this consciously or unconsciously, they're really tapping into the concepts of uh, from human-centered design, where the goal is, you know, not just to make um, a person's life easier but better through the technology you're providing. And I think we're, we're on our way there. You know, if you think about where we were 10 years ago, 
when Facebook and social media were in their infancy. Facebook was still limited mm-hmm. to college campuses and the tablets and so on and so forth. Smartphones that we have today were, were not even on the market. And to think where we're going to go in 10 years from now, I think the future is just amazing and, and it's going to be a great time to be in this, in this game. Very interesting, Randy. Good perspective. And was it really just 10 years ago that Facebook was just starting out as something for college kids, just a way to say who's on your campus, who's in university, duh, what do you want to know about them or not? Was it really just 10 years ago? You just blew my mind. Facebook did not go fully global to till 2006. It launched, I think, in 2004, just, you know, you needed a .edu email address to access, and up until 2006, it was, it was closed to the rest of us. So, Amazing, and it's crazy. it's in, interesting, crazy, and interesting how hungry people are for information. We want to know who is that person, what do they do, what do they like, whether we know them face to face or we heard about them. We just want to know. And look at all of the social networks it has spawned. What came after? Very interesting intro. Thank you, Randy. Great to have you on board. And let me bring on our second panelist. She is Angela Valentine. That sounds like a stage name, Angelica. I don't know anybody who has such a name that's so beautiful. Sounds like you're, you're on a movie marquee. She's a content marketing manager at Wiser. And Angelica sent me a quote from Bob Willett. I had to look him up. He was the chief executive of Best Buy's International Operations. He left the U.S.-based company on New Year's Eve 2009, just months before its hotly anticipated debut in the U.K. in 2010. And here's the quote. The sooner we drop the E out of e-commerce and just call it commerce, the better. Welcome, Angelica. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well today. How are you? Fine. Is that a stage name? I have to know. It's not. It's my real name. (laughs) It's a lovely name. Just lovely name. Putting those two together just seems magical. Talking about the magic from Arthur C. Clarke's quote before with Randy. So tell me, how come you picked a quote from Bob Willett? It sounds very on topic. and, And what does that mean to our bigger topic today? Sure. So I just thought um, the quote was really on point in terms of, you know, commerce really being a full experience. And, you know, we can call it e-commerce, we can call it m-commerce, you know, there's even social commerce that's um, becoming really important lately. But at the end of the day, it's all about commerce. And, you know, the sooner that we're able to put all those experiences together, the better, Um And also, consumers aren't the same on all of those channels. Like, on online, like on a desktop computer, a consumer, you know, might be looking for a more full experience. You know, they've got their screen. They can, you know, look at pictures better than they could on their phone or their tablet. Mm -hmm. And other um, channels, you know, might be better for, you know, just browsing and researching, like on tablets. So, it's really just about integrating all of those channels um, and, you know, making a fuller experience. Interesting, Angelica. And, and who would be concerned about this? I know Bob Willett was in big time in Best Buy, huge company. Is this something that retailers are worrying about? Is this something that we're having as a kind of an esoteric philosophical conversation today, taking the E out of e-commerce? Is this something that's bothering business people? Or is it just reality that we are merging and morphing E together with commerce and it will just be one? What's your point of view on that? You know, I I actually think that both, um, both are really important right now. Retailers are really trying to, you know, figure out where they stand because they're realizing that their customers are, you know, on so many different channels and they need to be able to target them and, you know, give them what they want on all those different channels. 
Okay, thank you very much. Good to meet you. And let me bring on our third panelist. He is Eric Morata. He's a director of Hybris Product Marketing at SAP Hydrus. And Eric has sent me a quote from none other than Jimmy Buffett. Those of you Buffett O'Files wondering, he was born on Christmas Day, 1946. Woohoo! And his full name is James William Buffett. And if you have been hiding under a rock, he plays with the Carl Reefer Band. He's recorded hit songs like Margaritaville, which tracked 234th on the Recording Industry Association of America's list of songs of the century. And his devoted fans are known as Parrot Heads. I said Parrot Heads. Yes, I did. And here's the quote from Jimmy Buffett. I hate to mention age, but I come from an era when we were not consumed by technology and TV. Eric Murata, I don't know what age you were born in, but I kind of share Jimmy Buffett's age, so I've just admitted something. How are you today, Eric? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for bringing me this quote. Talk to me. How does this quote relate to e-commerce, commerce, uh, what we're talking about today? Yeah, I think it really ties in well with the theme that we're talking about. Um, you know, we are in an age where we are consumed by technology. You know, it's just simple things as wearing a Fitbit, being overwhelmed by data. But we all really hearken back to the simpler time where, you know, like my 91-year-old grandmother, she'd walk into Halley Brothers in Cleveland, a department store there, and that sales rep knew her. He knew her by name. Mm-hmm. He knew that the, her, when her birthday was, he knew what she was likely shopping for for other family members' birthdays. And it's that sort of that one-to-one relationship that technology can really enable um, and doesn't have to be a distraction. Um, and I think if you look across CRM platforms, commerce platforms, social media, et cetera, we can pull all this together to provide that one-to-one relationship. And that's really what we're here to discuss today. Eric, I, I want to ask you, uh, I'm sure your grandmother sort of kind of remembers Jimmy Buffett. My mom is a little older than your grandmother. My mom is 98, and by the way, she we just bought her a PC because she wore out a couple of Macs and a PC years ago. So she's on a touchscreen uh, PC I just bought her. We hate it because it's something 8.1, and we just hate it. But anyway, she she does her Klondike, uh, Klondike solitaire she plays on it. She does research on the Internet, and she sends emails, and she sends some of the funniest jokes you've ever seen. However, uh, yes, my question to you is, is your grandmother happy that merchants recognize her, remember her, know how she is, know what kind of gift she's buying for the family, or does she think it's gone over across that line into creepy, or does she feel honored that they know her? What's, what's the line for her? Sure. Well, she does do email, so she has actually worn out a couple of computers herself, but um, <laughs> you know, the, the creep factor is important, whether it's for myself or my children. Um, but also, I think for any of us walking around, um, you know, with all these devices, knowing so much about us and taking that context, I think what, what we're talking about is not necessarily the creep factor, but really how to make technology seamless and part of our life to improve it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, back, back in the Halley Brothers days of the 30s and 40s and 50s, um, where you had that sales rep relationship, it was all tracked on an on a index card, Right. It was that's always right. a pleasant surprise. And it's just that's what we're really talking about today is this pleasant surprise that technology um, can provide us. And there are mm-hmm. certainly countless examples of creep factor coming in. Um, but I think that's what where we as solution providers um, are focused on removing that creep factor, allowing us to manage the data, um, us as people that generate the data, manage what mm-hmm. we share, what we don't share, and for us to also help with enterprises to eliminate potential creep factor. 
Great points, Eric. Uh, there's a, one of my favorite French phrases is plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. It means the more things change, the more they stay the same. And mentioning vendors, retailers who've been around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you're right. They kept it in an index card or maybe more important, the owner of the store had it in his or her head. They knew who you were when you walked in. So we're go- we're trying to reclaim that knowledge of who the customer is and welcome them as a, a, a group of one-on-one, basically, now. And we're, we've got massive technology that's just throwing gazillions of customer data at us. And we're trying to say, how can we get back to that one-on-one, truly good customer experience and trying to reclaim what we did so well in the old days? But I rest my case. Guess what? I'm going to circle back to Randy Cole first on the panel. Randy, you know what I'm going to ask you? The Customer Edge with Game Changers is part of our bigger series called Coffee Break with Game Changers, hence the logo with the coffee cup. So I want to know, Randy Cole, where are you calling from? What time of day or evening is it? And what are you drinking if it's something really interesting? If not, what are you planning to drink later? Talk to me, Randy Cole. <laughs> well, I'm calling you from Chicago, Illinois, uh, beautiful second city. And it's about, what, 2.20, 2.15 in the afternoon here. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably a little bit out of favor. I'm drinking an old-fashioned all-American Coca-Cola right now and enjoying it quite quite a lot, actually. Well, you bring back great memories. I used to drink a cold Coke after school when I was in junior high school before they said, Moms, don't give your kids so much sugar. But we had it. What can I tell you? But, Randy, are you drinking it from the bottle? You're drinking it from a glass? How are you drinking? Come on, Coke conjures up ideas of that wonderful green glass bottle with all of the, the, the shape on it and the Coca-Cola. What kind of a bottle or can are you drinking it from? Not, not quite that old school. Going straight from the can. Got the NCAA tournament edition, so I got. I think we got some fresh product on, in, in hand over here. <laughs> there you. That's what I wanted to know. Thank you, Angelica Valentine. Same question. Where are you? Time of day? What are you drinking, or what do you plan to drink? Go ahead. I'm in San Francisco, um, <clears throat> about twelve fifteen, and I've been feeling a little under the weather, so I've got some tea. My parents are kind of uh, notorious for, you know, buying their kids kind of strange gifts. But this past Christmas, they actually hit the nail on the head and got me some really great tea and a strainer. So I've been using it every day since then. Oh, nice. Well, we want to know what kind of what flavor tea is it? Herbal tea? Is it caffeinated tea? What is it? What's your favorite? I got some green tea, um, some jasmine green tea, a little bit of caffeine, but not not too much because I don't want to end up too wired. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you, and I hope you feel better. Thanks for sharing that. Eric Morata, I won't ask you to top those two. They were very interesting. Where are you, what time of day, and what's in your cup, Eric? Sure. I'm down the river from Randy in Chicago, and uh, unlike Angelica, I need to be wired. So I'm on my another <laughs> cup of Dunkin' Donuts medium black coffee. Uh, but in truth, I'm, I'm dreaming of summer. I'm not going back to that quote, not dreaming of boat drinks. Um, or umbrella drinks, <laughs> um, but I am getting ready for the arrival of summer here. It's a beautiful day, and I'm looking forward to beer gardens opening up and enjoying a, a Augustiner Hefeweizen. Ah, I knew we'd get something out of you. Very, very interesting. Thank. I can't write it. I can't pronounce it, but I can enjoy the way it sounds. Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, those of you who don't know me, I think the three of us just met on a prep call recently. They don't let me have caffeinated beverages on days when I do SAP radio. I wonder why. So it's just t- filtered tap water for me with a pretty pink straw. There you go. That's as good as it gets. I'm going to give the three of you a break so you can go have a sip of something interesting. We're speaking today with Randy Cole at Gorilla 
group. He'll tell us what they do when we come back. Angelica Valentine at Wiser, W-I-S-E-R. She'll tell us as well. And Eric Marotti, you're at Hybris SAP. And you can get a turn to tell us a little bit about what you do as well. We are talking today about transforming CRM sales and service around commerce. And I didn't say e-commerce. I said commerce. So if you haven't been listening up, that's what our theme is. We are taking the E out of commerce and talking about commerce today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is episode number 13 in our series called The Customer Edge with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. And a shout out to Lana Smith. It's been great working with you, Lana. We are live today. It's Wednesday, March 18th. We're going to take a quick break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. When we come back, Randy Cole has the honor of launching us into the round table. Okay, Michael, out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. A global revolution is taking place, shaking the very foundation upon which all enterprises are built. This revolution is led by today's digitally empowered consumers and commercial buyers. They don't see our companies through a channel-focused lens. They look for and expect one experience, irrespective of the channel. Join us to explore insights, information, and ideas from sales, customer service, and marketing experts around the globe. Let's embrace the challenge of engaging customers in this new age. The Customer Edge with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. listening to The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Customer Edge with Game Changers. Here we are. We're talking about transforming CRM sales and service around commerce. And commerce starts with the letter C on our show today. First up, I'd like to welcome back Randy Cole. Randy, before we start our roundtable, why don't you just tell me in two sentences, what is the Gorilla Group? What do you do? Sure. Gorilla Group's a commerce service provider. So, a.k.a. we're a digital agency that focuses on uh, digital commerce solutions for uh, both B2B and direct-to-consumer brands. Thank you very much. And Randy, you're going to have the honor of kicking off our roundtable. And I'm looking at your notes. You sent me before the show a couple of interesting points I'd like to read, and then I want you to expand them, please. You say there is still a large gap in tying together digital and physical touch points. And then you add, to complicate this further, virtually every analyst report cites the rise of customer expectations, yet very little has been done to quantify whether these expectations are realistic. Great points. Randy, why don't you take it? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, what you see out there is, uh, we're actually victims of our own success in a way that technology has evolved so quickly that people have become a little spoiled and they just expect everything to work seamlessly and to be at their fingertips. And quite frankly, to make things work that way is in- extremely difficult. So, for instance, when we talk about omni-channel commerce, two, two of the things that kind of come to mind are, are the scenarios where you buy online and pick up in store or maybe you buy in store and have it shipped to home. 
you know, if you're on the outside looking in, you're an average consumer, you think, well, that's just table stakes. Table stakes. I expect that to happen. But in reality, those are extremely difficult tasks to pull off and to pull off well. You know, there's convenience for the consumer, but there's not that necessarily that wow factor. So, and I think in some ways they, they kind of take the, the ability for, of that for granted. Um, you know, really what this, I think, means is we need to have more robust abilities to feed offline transactions into the you know, CRM system and really tie the entire digital ecosystem together. Um, case in point was last year at the 2014 Futures First Conference, a, a survey of retail executives asked how effective they were at collecting in-store data, and 86% said that they were either not effective, somewhat effective, or even worse, they didn't know. You know, that's a lot of valuable, really valuable customer data that's being left on the table. And this is stuff mm-hmm. that can be used for a lot more than driving the next outbound marketing pitch. This could be, you know, tied back in to create a better overall customer experience. For example, what if this in-store data could be fed directly into a digital My account, for instance, and populate order history so someone can go in and complete a purchase later or complete a set? Or what if it prompted them to... Uh, give uh, product reviews, which has mm-hmm. been proven to spur others buying behavior and, and purchase behavior, or actually fed them to the loyalty program and give points for purchases in store. I think that would tie the whole experience together and make it much more valuable to the consumer. I agree. Randy, I'm just going to read another note here from what you sent me. You say, a survey presented at the 2014 Future Stores Conference indicated that 86% of retail executives rated their in-store data collection as not effective or somewhat. That's pretty low, isn't it? It it is, but it's not really surprising because, you know, you walk in a store, you walk out of a store, and if you don't purchase anything and you don't use a credit card, what data does the store really gain from you? Um, and that's kind of the state we're in right now, but there is obviously ways that can be addressed, and maybe we'll talk about that coming up. We will. Thank you. Good talking points. Angelica Valentine, I'd like you to address what Randy just brought up. Thoughts, please? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> definitely there There are so many ways to collect data, um, and, you know, in-store, online, you know, really integrating them is important um, because, you know, there's a quote by Andy Cass Mayfield. He's a co-founder and CEO of Harry's, which is a shaving product company. And he defined omni-channel commerce um, as, you know, an experience. He said, it's less about creating another channel to sell product. It's about providing a really great experience. So if shoppers are looking at your products online and then going in store and, you know, you know, trying them on or, you know, seeing how they feel in their hands, um, you know, there's valuable data that can be gained from that. Um, But a lot of retailers are having issues with that definitely right now. Interesting. I'm thinking of my recent experiences going into the big stores, the big name brand stores. It's so hard to find anybody to even talk to you when you're looking around the shelves or these massive layouts. I'm thinking of a sporting goods store near me. I had to walk the store three times looking for one product and finally found somebody on his way to the storage room on the opposite corner of this humongous basement level. And I had to yell out, hello, can you help me? And he said, I'll be right there. He had to walk all the way across this big area, and he did help me. But he was the only person in the whole store who was even around to have a so-called relationship with me. Very frustrating. Uh, I think that there are a lot of lessons to be learned here. Thank you, Angelica. Let's bring on Eric Murata. Thoughts on what we've been discussing, Eric? 
I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, what Angelica's last point was regarding how omni-channel commerce is not just another channel, but it really is business today, right? It really mm-hmm. is how we interact with the brands. We don't interact from a physical channel perspective walking into a store. Uh, we're walking into a store with a digital device, right? We're walking in the mm-hmm. store with our mobile device, and there's ways that we can leverage technology uh, to communicate with us as we walk through the, that store experience. Likewise, we can unify you know, with that in-store physical experience with what I've done online, you know, to Randy's point, you know, I'm buying something online, but I want to go pick it up for convenience sake at the store. How can they in the store uh, know who Eric is when he walks in, greet him personally, and, you know, maybe provide him uh, an, an adjacent accessory for uh, what he's just purchased or what I've just purchased? Uh, there's Very so good. many different things here. I mean, Omnichannel really is business. Yep, and that's what people have to get get used to that omnichannel word. I think I mentioned in the opening the answer is omnichannel commerce. If they don't know what that is, it's it's almost too late to climb on that bandwagon. Randy Cole, thoughts on what Angelica added and Eric as well? I mean, I think everyone's you know kind of in agreement here that you know that we have the ability to um, treat customers in a, in a much different way than we are now, and or we're just getting to the point where we're just starting to get there. And um, I think that. Uh, you know, eventually we're going to get to a point where it's basically table stakes where everyone is doing these kind of basic things and in, in, in treating the customers in, in a holistic manner. Thank you. Angelica, I'm looking at your notes. I love this section you sent me on who's doing it right. Why don't we start out with some good news? You have a couple of case studies here, a couple of examples. You want to start talking about Bobble Bar, Angelica, and just to see what you think is happening on the positive side. Sure. So with Bobble Bar, they're a pure play. They started off as a pure play jewelry retailer, um, and they really noticed that. Um, so they started out trying to, you know, have a few pop-up stores and just see what the reaction would be. Um, and it's definitely helpful in terms of, you know, brand recognition. And the biggest win that they had was they realized that people were buying three times as much in store. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Recently, they've kind of closed down some of those brick-and-mortar retailers, but they've been partnering with Nordstrom and Anthropology um, to make sure that customers can really get their hands on, you know, their jewelry and try it on and see, you know, what they really think about it, and that's helped their sales um, a lot. Um, and then another one is Warby Parker. Um, so they started off just selling glasses online, and then they, they were getting a lot of requests from people saying, hey, I want to try these on. You know, glasses are kind of the personal thing. You need to put it on your face mm-hmm. and see how it looks and, you know, how it's going to change your your look every day. Um, so they've been also, um, you know, playing with some brick and mortar. And I think now they have about eight stores. They opened their first one in April 2013 in Soho in Manhattan. Um, and so they came out with a figure saying that um, for each square foot um of their retail stores, they sell about $3,000 worth of merchandise, which is actually a really good figure, um, you know, compared to all retailers except for Apple. Um, they're really kind of blowing everyone else out of the water because the only, the closest one to them um, is Tiffany, and they're selling almost $3,000 worth of um, product per square foot. That is amazing. Warby Parker, W-A-R-B-Y Parker. Sunglasses. Did they sell eyeglasses, sunglasses? What's what's their uh, brand known for, Angelica? 
Yeah, they're selling both. They've got both regular glasses and sunglasses. Okay, very interesting. And and uh, I mentioned we mentioned uh, Best Buy before. Best Buy is doing just shy of twelve hundred dollars per square foot. Ralph Lauren just a little over a thousand per square foot, and Toomey just under a thousand. Fascinating! Wow, what a lesson for for retailers. Get in touch and let people touch the merchandise. Eric Morata, thoughts on this? You have any case studies you want to share with us, or just comment on the ones that Angelica presented? No, I, I think uh, I mean that's just a great case in point in terms of how you bring digital to physical. But there's also just to shift it up, shift gears a little bit. Um, Omnichannel commerce really touches all um, business models and industries. So, in a, a telecommunications example, or in this case, a digital um, digital satellite TV provider, let's say, um, you mm-hmm. know, the multi-billion-dollar business, they transformed. They had. Their primary route to market was through partners and through their own direct sales channel. What they did is rather than servicing the customer through literally 20-plus different CRM solutions, they consolidated their business around an omni-channel commerce platform and used that to service the customer and service specific markets more rapidly and responding to immediate needs as the customer calls in to transform uh, their bundle to add a new bundle to um, get a discount, etc. They've used this as a central mechanism to gain new insights to the customer, so that they're not only responding to and giving the, the CSR agent, the customer rep, service rep, you know, a set of 50 different types of offerings, but the top three different bundles that are re- uh, related to that customer. And I mean, for me, you know, that's just so. And and for and actually the whole telecommunications industry, that was revolutionary. And that was mm-hmm. nearly a decade ago that they did this. Uh, no, maybe not quite, but almost a decade ago that they've done this. And they've been an example. You look at other, um, other brands, you think of like a consolidated uh, or a conglomerate rather, uh, like GE, 3M, etc. When you and I think about these brands, we think of one organization, right? They've mm-hmm. always gone to market as different business units. And now these yep. organizations, these conglomerates are saying, look, we're 3M. We service many different industries, many different sectors um, with multiple sets of products. Let's focus on that, that customer experience and let's reinvigorate um, that experience with a single brand approach. And they're doing that now. Thank goodness. Randy Cole, thoughts? Well, I, I really like to echo back on what Angelica was saying. Um, you know, it seemed like just a year, maybe two years ago, that the uh, – obituary for, for mainstream retail was being written. And while obviously there's been a lot of pullback from some of the mass market you know, chains out there, we are seeing a lot of these uh, businesses that started out as e-commerce pure plays going into the physical world. And as you know, obviously that's generating results for them in terms of sales, uh, the, the status of their brand, the level of the experience they're able to give their customers, and it all really ties back into this whole omni-channel experience that we're talking about. And I think it's uh, it's really a sign of things to come. You know, Amazon is uh, testing bookstores at uh, Purdue University. Google's testing out a store in London, for instance. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the, in the future. Mm-hmm. Things are changing, going going back to something else to to go forward into the future. Thank you. 
Eric Morata, I'm looking at your notes. So many interesting things I'd like to talk about, but I'd like to do a definition of omnichannel commerce. I'm looking at your notes here. You say foresters surveyed CEOs, and they talked about their business priorities enterprise-wide. Why don't you give us the definition of omnichannel commerce? Is there is there a, a Venn diagram where things are intersecting, or is it one big circle with a lot of parts of the pie? How, would, how do we describe it? Eric? Yeah, I would describe it as... Um, I mean, really just taking that picture of the Venn diagram, you know, omnichannel commerce touches the customer at every engagement, every touch point. Mm-hmm. It is about supporting um, the retail store example or any sort of dealer distributor's um, touch point. It's about connecting and driving a online web experience that um, your mom and my grandmother, you know, experience in terms of when they're mm-hmm. sitting at home with their computer. Um, it's also about... <laughs> You and I, when we walk down the street with our mobile device, you know, to, to uh, interact, buy something else on, on Amazon, you know, when we realize we need it, to add things to our shopping cart as we go through a store and we're thinking about things. Uh, when we call in customer service, when we call in on asking where our order is, especially for B2B companies, um, it's, it's really about connecting uh, the, the direct sales team with the customer service team so that everybody has a consistent view of the customer and wherever they are in their specific life cycle to that order. Eric, what's the challenge for companies that have veered away from this omni-channel commerce approach where they are siloed, where they have different marketing teams and different sales teams and they're doing everything differently, nothing's connected, nothing's integrated, it's all siloed. How do they get back to that? Do they almost have to rebuild from scratch or do they bring in an aggressive new management team that says, okay, kids, we're going to put a bunch of you into a bubble, we're going to think this through, we're going to come up with some new processes, we're going to build them and then we will populate them to the rest of the company. How do you do that? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question. I mean, really what you, you have to do two things. One, it does take a technology investment. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, I mean, you're, you're spot on. It really requires an organization alignment. And so, you know, when we look at some of the surveys that Forrester has done in the past, uh, for example, and they identify the top three areas of investment for technology, digital investment, or excuse me, digital marketing, e-commerce and customer experience management, then in the next breath you ask them, are you organized for that? No. You know, have you begun organizing for that? No. no. Um, mm. that, is, that is a, uh, can be a roadblock. You know, the best technology, of course, can solve and bring all these channels together. And it's not necessarily what we're talking about here or proposing uh, for omni-channel commerce. It's not a transformation project that throws out existing investment. We're talking about mm-hmm. a complementary type of service and solution that uh, augments and complements some of many of those existing investments. So it Thank really you. is as simple as organization alignment and investing in the right technology and, and plan to implement. It's definitely work no matter how you approach it. Randy Cole, thoughts on what Eric just added? Well, I mean, it's definitely a complex answer. I wish I had the, the, the right answer for that. I could uh, do a lot mm-hmm. with that, but I think at some <laughs> level... Um, you know, a lot of these companies are throwing, you know, investment towards the customer, the customer, and they're not really looking internally at the business itself. And I think a lot of uh, the problems they're having are, you know, business processes that need to change, the idea of change management, a whole organizational change, and really aligning everything from top to bottom to service the customer uh, as opposed to just trying to reach out to the customer without, you know, addressing those internal issues. And technology, obviously, is one, is one area that it, you know, could be addressed to help get there for sure. 
Angelica, thoughts? Yeah, I think there are definitely a lot of moving parts here. You know, it's about, you know, aligning the associates and stores and making sure they can use all the technology and also, you know, managing all those channels. Like if you're going to have a mobile site and, you know, just a regular website and a store and, you know, customer service associates that, you know, should know what you've been looking at and know what you've recently purchased. I think it's just a matter of, you know, getting everyone on the same page, which can, which can be really difficult. Okay. I want to move to, I'm looking through all of the wonderful notes you all sent me before the show. Uh, I think, Eric Murata, you have a couple of examples. I see Nordstrom mentioned here. You want to talk about that? Is that a good use case? I think so. I mean, they, if you look at Nordstrom as a whole, a lot of retailers and, frankly, business today have stepped back, have been caught on their heels of um, being business process focused, being sort of uh, bottom line focused. Whereas if you look at Nordstrom, and I think they're a great exemplar and they're often cited uh, in any conversation, but they've always been, and kind of going back to my um, metaphor with my grandmother, it, but really they've always been focused on the customer. They've always taken that traditional um, department store relationship that, uh, you know, originated on an index card. And, you know, to this day, whether or not they're supported by uh, an omnichannel commerce system or not, their business processes and organization structure has been defined around the customer and the customer experience. So where, you know, famously, you can return a set of tires that, you know, you never bought at Nordstrom, but they'll gladly accept mm. that and help you out. And, you know, they have transform their business, yes, around omni-channel commerce, and their growth you know, year over year online has been 33%. And, um, but let that not be misunderstood that they're not focused on omni-channel commerce and that store experience. It's really an augmentation, a complement of that digital and physical experience. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm looking at one note here in, in your comments. You say the theme is investment in customer processes, not business processes. What does it take to get management, leadership, executives to focus that it's, it has to be customer-centric? It can't just be – it has to be what's good for the business, but it has to be first and foremost focused on the customer. Thoughts on how to do that, Eric? And then I want to ask Angelica and Randy the same question. Yeah, then I, I may need that beer after all. Um, <laughs> very Touché. philosophical. Um, Touché. The, uh, you know, the public, especially in the United States, the public, um, uh, the focus on markets, right, and being a public company mm-hmm. and serving the bottom line. Um, whereas if you take more of a European approach, and um, H&M would be a good, good use case here, I think. Um, H&M's always been focused on customer processes operationally, right? They bring to market new products every few weeks, um, just constantly churning the business. Well, they've recently undertaken an investment in their sort of omni-channel digital commerce transformation. And they are, yes, being successful, but it is costing the business in the short term. So I think what organizations need to understand, and Randy explained this very well, it is a commitment. It is a commitment of resources. It is a commitment of capital. Um, but being focused on that customer experience is what's going to win you and I and our children um, as being brand advocates for the company in the future. 
Thank you. And I have a note here from Angelica's comments where she's just has something to tell everybody that's, that's going to make them smile. She says personalization is profitable. Wouldn't you want to spend more if you'd built a relationship with a sales associate? Angelica, you want to bring this into the real world for us? We, we, everybody wants to make money. You can't survive without making money. Personalization is profitable. I think we need to crochet that on a very big pillow or put it on a billboard. Angelica, you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so every time you go into a store, um, you know, if you walked in and someone knew your name and they knew exactly what you bought three weeks ago and, you know, what you're likely to be looking for today, like, wouldn't you want to spend more money, um, you know, if you had a really personalized experience? Like, Amazon started off doing this, you know, when you sign into your account at the top, it says, hello, Angelica, and then, you know, it recommends products based on, you know, your previous purchases. Um and Macy's and other retailers are, you know, starting to understand that um, with their mobile apps and things like that. So that, you know, when you go into the store, unlike, you know, the experience that you just had in the sporting store, you know, mm-hmm. even if you can't find an associate, you still want to get that information. Otherwise, you're probably not going to make that purchase if you, you know, don't understand, you know, why this product is better than another one and, you know, why you shouldn't just walk out the door because you're frustrated. So Macy's has um, an app that's great for when you're in store so you can, you know, get a bit more product information that, you know, maybe an associate could give you or maybe, you know, an associate wouldn't even know because maybe, you know, it just came in yesterday and they're not quite up to speed on it yet. So I think that the technology aspect is really going to be helpful and, you know, personalizing the experience and making sure that customers are informed like at, at every stage in their funnel. Great oh, point. Yeah. I, I I just want to bring in a statistic here. And then, Randy, I want to hear from you. We did a show yesterday on the B2B buying process, and I remember the note that uh, the customer today is 57 to 71% of the way through the buying process before they even talk to a salesperson. I rest my case. Go ahead. Was that Randy in the background? No, that, that was Eric. I was, I was Either just one. throw in. That, that's yep. exactly right. I mean, it covers... Um, a lot of these retail personalization examples also cover um, many B2B. Uh, you know, when new products are introduced all the time, either through partnerships, through new product introductions and innovation that um, en- enterprises are trying to drive out to market, very difficult to enable the sales force on what all these new products c- can do. And when you take these sort of product recommendations uh, into B2B use cases, you have to um, think of two different constituencies. One, you're going to learn from uh, what your customers' past buying behaviors are and make product recommendations for that. But two, you need to be able to inform the direct sales channel, which is, again, bringing back the omni-channel um, story together around CRM. Mm-hmm. Randy? Um, where, do you want me to, where do you want me to start from there? Because there's a lot going on. Anywhere, pick pick anything, and I'm I'm looking at some more of your notes about companies segmenting their customers in terms of loyalty programs, total spend, longevity, yep. affluent. Do you want to go there because uh, we're we're almost running out of time here. We're going to have to sure. go to our prediction soon. I'd love to cover this and give give our listeners some real solid ideas in addition to everything else the three of you have really been sharing so beautifully. So yeah, go ahead, Randy. I mean. Well, you know, one-to-one personalization obviously is one of the mantras you're hearing these days. And, you know, there's predictive analytics and other tools that are kind of getting us there. I don't know, depending on your definition, that we're 100% there yet. You know, mm-hmm. all companies are realizing that, you know, the customer wins and the customer gets what they want in the end. So, you know, there's obviously been segmentation for a while. 
Um, I think there's room for this to go even further into, you know, something like along the lines of hyper-segmentation. And a great example is the loyalty program. So most retailers have them. Most retailers have a single loyalty program for all of their customers. And predominantly, most of those are based on total spend. So you're rewarded for, you know, the more you spend, the more you get. But, you know, all customers are not alike, and there could be very loyal customers that are not quite as affluent as others. Um, so why not reward customers for the frequency of their purchases, the longevity of their time as a customer, and other mm-hmm. factors like that, and turn, you know, what are currently loyal customers into true brand advocates that help grow the business, you know, exponentially, or, or at least grow beyond the individual. Are they listening to people like you, Randy? Are they, whoever's listening to the show around the world, are they going to say, yeah, that's a great idea? Or are they going to look at the bottom line and say, yeah, sounds good, but not so much? What do you think? If they can do the math and make it work, I'm sure there will be some that I'll, that I'll be happy to give it a shot. <laughs> okay, Angelica. Angelica, I didn't ask you yet, what is wiser? What do you do there? Tell us quickly, and then I want you to comment on Randy's suggestion. Talk to me, Angelica. Sure. So I'm the content marketing manager here at Wiser, and so we're a pricing intelligence company. So basically, we help retailers and brands um, reprice their products, and uh, you know, build a better pricing strategy, and also make sure that resellers aren't violating math. Thank you very much. What do you think about Randy's idea for expanding longevity, frequency, rather than just total spend? Bottom line. Sure. So I mean, I think that. You know, each customer is different and, you know, treating everyone the same just isn't really going to make the cut anymore um, because you do have some shoppers who are going to be spending more than others and, you know, you have some that have been shopping with you for 15 years straight. So you need to know, you know, which type of customer each one is because then you can target them in different ways. Um, You know, you can send them offers that they're more likely to accept. Um, and it's really just about knowing the customer better. I'm looking at your bio here, Angelica. You have a BA in sociology from Barnard College. Those of you who don't know, that's part of Columbia University in, in New York City. Uh, I'm a former Sarah Lawrence girl, by the way. I think you know who, who we are. Anyway, uh, yes. Question. Did your degree in sociology prepare you for this kind of thing? Because maybe anthropology, sociology, we're talking about people here. Has, is that a good degree for people to get who want to go into the kind of field you're in right now? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I think really what my degree taught me was how to read and write and, you know, take in a lot of information and, you know, process it and get it back out in the most effective way possible. Um, My sister actually went to Sarah Lawrence, um, so I know quite a bit about Sarah Lawrence, and she's a writer as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, sociology is definitely a great path for anyone who wants to, um, you know, understand the customer experience and things like that. Thank you very much. And tell your sister I said hi. I won't tell you what class I was in, and I won't ask what class she was in. Okay, uh, Eric Morata, thoughts on this idea Randy has? What do you think? Is it Would it be profitable from your point of view? Is it worth investing in? Anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I, no, I agree. I think absolutely it is profitable, and you'll find in many organizations that do they do have a predictive analytics team. But it's, again, um, to the point is how do you pull all this together and use this predictive analytics in any sales engagement, not just sort of to drive campaigns and leads, but how do you use this information to drive new offers, new contextual um, relationships, whether, again, it's coming through the sales commerce channel 
or sort of a service channel. How do you service customers better? What you, what you need to do at the end of the day is retain those customers and grow them. Okay. Eric, we have time before we go into We have 10 minutes left. I'm going to save about five and a half, six minutes total for all of your predictions, so we'll be really quick. But, Eric, I'm looking at something here in your notes. I, I don't think we covered this. Uh, talking specifically about CRM. CRM was to be the solution to understand and record customer interactions. And here's the caveat. The customer changed, period. Millennials, especially what you call post-millennials, I don't know who those are, you'll have to tell me, entered the smartphone, Netflix world, where information and control were at their fingertips. We've been talking about that. They lack even more patience than my grandma. (laughs) I don't know about your grandma. When it comes to brands that don't enable control over the commerce or service experience, who is the cohort called post-millennials? How old are they, Eric? Uh, I think they're basically born after the, the millennium, and uh, they're all digital, right? They're the, they're the mm-hmm. two-year-olds that have been running through my smartphone <laughs> without any instruction, right? They're the ones that are going to be using wearables in a smart, intelligent fashion that's tied to whatever the use case may be, may be tied to their health and, you know, getting some sort of uh, reorder form for glucose, whatever the case may be. Um, Interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, I, the, the, I guess the promise, and if you look at the CRM history, um, it really was oftentimes a commerce channel, right? So um, Siebel, for instance, drove that into the marketplace but it was divorced from the service channel. And it was, very, it was near impossible to respond to the rising e-commerce wave and later the omni-channel commerce wave. Henceforth, uh, this conversation and a lot of, uh, around these omni-channel commerce platforms and solutions that are out there, it really, it's not about CRM, not about um, e-commerce. It's all about the customer experience. And no matter where Eric, as a consumer, interacts with the customer, the brand, the, yeah, the brand, not necessarily the customer, the brand, interacts with me. So that's, that's yep. at the end of the day, what's really important. I, I'm so intrigued that you have bookended the post-millennials on one side and grandma on the other and saying they both <laughs> lack, lack patience. And I think that's what we're dealing with. Angelica, I have to ask, are you a millennial or a post-millennial? And do you identify with what Eric just talked about? Um, I guess I would be a millennial. Uh, <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I definitely feel like there's a lack of patience, um, you know, but I feel like that's probably probably an issue that retailers are going to have to deal with with everyone um, going forward because we're just so used to, you know, getting what we want when we want it. Um, and e-commerce, m-commerce, all, you know, all types of commerce are all about, you know, satisfying your needs right when you need them. Randy, any thoughts on this? Um, I mean, you know, I think when it comes from the technology side, I think we talked about, you know, a a CRM system, et cetera. It's all about building, you know, a cohesive digital ecosystem for these companies. And I think when they do, they'll find that, you know, the sum is greater than the, the parts of it. And I think that, um, you know that's that's really going to be the key for a lot of these these brands to to really meet these customer expectations, which have just gone through the roof. Okay, Randy Cole, while I have you, why don't we start our predictions round right now? I'm going to ask you to fast forward, look through the lens of the crystal ball, look into the crystal ball deeply. 
I don't care whether it's a Steuben crystal ball or whether it's something you found at JCPenney, Jacques C. Penney, wherever you got it, I know you're looking to the future for me right now. I'd like to know, can you see clearly to the year 2020, which is less than five years away, or is there another time in the future where you can project what this conversation would be like if we met again at that time? I'm going to give you exactly 90 seconds for your predictions. Randy Cole, go. I think by 2020, you know, we'll have a two-tier system. There's going to be an opt-in and an opt-out. And if you're an opt-in consumer, you're going to be treated a different way. You're going to be able to access all of these tools and all of these rewards that these that the retailers can offer you across channels, across devices, across experiences. And if you want to be treated in an old school way, and a lot of this might be tied to your personal privacy, you'll have a completely separate experience that will be a lot more quote-unquote analog than, than others. I think if we fast-forward and even 20 years past that, I think mm-hmm. things are going to turn on its head, and a lot of these uh, personal assistants, Siri, Cortana from Microsoft, etc., will actually become true personal assistants, and the personalization will be in the consumer's end and not on the retailer's end, but we'll see if that day ever comes. Interesting. I don't think I've ever had anybody go 20 years after 2020, but I did once have a guest who projected 50 years ahead on one of our early shows three years ago, and I said, why so far? And he said, because nobody on this call will be around to tell me I was wrong. (gasps) What can I say? Angelica Valentine, how far into the future can you see? I'll give you a same 90 seconds. We might have a little time left over, and we'll do something interesting with it. But Angelica, go ahead, predictions. How far in the future? So I think... uh even in the next few months, in the next few years, um, I'm really interested to see where, you know, wearable commerce is going. You know, Apple just talked about their smartwatch that's coming out, and everyone's super excited about it. And, you know, Amazon was right on it, and they said, well, we're going to have an app on that smartwatch, and, you know, you'll be able to shop right from your watch. So Mm -hmm. I'm just really interested to see you know, where that's going to go. And definitely in terms of that personalized experience that we were talking about, you know, based on where you are, um, I think you'll probably have a different shopping experience. And, you know, Amazon's going to have a lot of information about us, even more than they already do. And I'm just interested to see, you know, where that's all going to go and how personalized personalized shopping is going to get. Good points. Very interesting. So you have to partner with the right companies to get the right apps on the right device in front of the right people. Getting more complicated, and it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Eric Morata, I didn't ask you to tell us one or two sentences about Hybris, just so everybody knows, and then give me your predictions. I'll give you the two sentences for Hybris and then 90 seconds for predictions. Eric Morata, go. Sure. So Hybris is a omnichannel commerce provider. Uh, we are working on bringing together and unifying this customer experience across CRM. Uh, marketing, and all the way through the customer, whether it's their physical store experience or online experience or digital experience. In terms of predictions, you know, I think that this is really um, a tipping point over the next five years. And it's whether it's for retailers, for wholesale distributors, or high-tech OEM manufacturers, all these different industries are going to have to transform their business processes to have customer-centric processes. They're going to have to use this personalization uh, capabilities, the technology and the relationships between the physical and the digital worlds uh, to their advantage. And more importantly, because we're all attuned to this, because basically the creep factor, uh, we're all Mm -hmm. attuned to this, and it has to be seamless and pain-free. It has to be creep-free, if you will. And it's 
built around the experience that that brand is, is providing Eric. Uh, if they do not, they will cease to exist. And you already are seeing some of that happening today. You know, we hear it from you know, some customers that are coming to us about declining sales because X, Y, and Z competitor is providing um, an, an amazing online experience or amazing mobile experience or their, their field sales reps are more intelligent because they're better informed and can present their customers' offers. Really is a uh, uh, transformative time for business. Thank you. I have a bonus question, and it's a yes or no answer for the whole panel, starting with Randy Cole, then Angelica Valentine, and Eric Murata. Question is, do you think we will see a jump-starting of careers in marketing and marketing advisory roles, consulting roles for the post-millennials because they get it. They know what they want. They have that impatience factor. They're out there. They're trying everything. They're sharp. They're hot, and they want to know what's going on. They want what they want when they want. Will they be in advisory roles with high salaries very quickly so the companies will get it right the first time? Randy Cole, yes or no yes ah angelica valentine yes or no absolutely oh good i like it when i get a bonus question with answers and eric Murata, what do you think i'd love to be contrarian but yes absolutely Ah, what can I say? We know you too well. Thank you very much. Great panel, great conversation. Thank you to Randy Cole at Gorilla Group, Angelica Valentine at Wiser, Feel Better Angelica, and Eric Murata at SAP Hybris. And a big shout out to Lana Smith at SAP. It's been great doing this 13-week series with you, and I hope you come back for another season later in the year. Shout out to Michael and the Business Channel team. I'll be back tomorrow. Let's see. We have five hours of radio a week now, and we're almost done with our week. So I'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern. With the future of business with Game Changers. Really interesting panel. So I have a call to action for all of you out there. You know what's coming. Fasten your seatbelt. Maybe it's a wearable. Maybe it's going to tell us everything about you. I don't know. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. We certainly are. Talk to you tomorrow on the future of business with Game Changers. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Customer Edge with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.